Alright peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of secret Hong Kong pole positions, lots of, yo, I want to get good at push-ups, should I do punches? Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial <laughs> Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Sifu. Yeah. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Nice shirt, man. How are man. you doing? Uh, nice, ooh, nice shirt to you, too. I know. We're matching. Look, Yo, we do that every once in a while. Yeah. We're all matching. Also, happy birthday, Seagull. Thank you. Thank hey. you. Thank you. Mikey Dean hey. also has a shirt on. Yeah, so every year, this is like a tradition that you give me a Kung Fu Genius t-shirt in a new color. Okay. So the first year was black with gold. The second year was like a dark navy blue with the logo was in red. Yeah. And then this year it's the seafood colors, red and gold. But so. I'm a bit confused because we've got three t-shirts for three birthdays. Yes. But we've only done what? Two seasons. So yeah, we're not even done even, with the second year yeah. of the podcast. How did that, that even happen? Yeah, I was wondering, like, so did you make for sure before we had the podcast? Or, <laughs> or know, what? Maybe. Just one of those weird math questions. Yeah. I'm not the math we genius. We gotta figure that out. Yeah. So um, anyway, yeah, yesterday was my birthday. Went and brought my girls to the uh, Circus circus Vasquez, which is a... What uh, yeah. is that? Uh, it is a circus over at City Field in Queens. Oh. And it was amazing. Like, just the stuff that... The circus Vasquez. performers. Yes. This, yeah. It, it the was, Vasquez Brothers. It was from, a uh, from uh, it, Astoria. It, it, it was uh, you know, in uh, in homage to my uh, my Cuban side. Right? Okay. Yeah, I, I remember after I booked it, I'm like, that's a Spanish sounding name, and I'm this like, this Spanish might be circus. a Spanish circus. Yeah. Right? But it was actually in English. But there was also like it was like half Spanish, half English. Okay. It was great. The girls loved it. They had a really what, good what time. What are they doing over there? They got the, uh, the they, basics. They, no, they. Well, I mean, now circuses don't really have animals anymore because that you know the whole cruelty. This is like all people it. performing, right? It's not what we grew up. They on. had roll like they had this like couple on this on this very small platform spinning on roller skates. So it and, must like, smell really good around. in a circus. It does. It doesn't <laughs> smell bad. But they have, they have the dudes. Pleasant. They have the dudes who are in the um in the metal uh -huh. um in that the metal balls. globe with the oh, uh yeah. with the uh motorcycles and stuff. They yeah, they had like they went with up to six. I think they had six people go in there Ooh. and one female driver too it was amazing okay. yeah it was, okay. it was wild it was wild so i had a good time so yeah birthdays are great um got a lot of stuff coming up uh, both for kung fu genius and for city wing chun so i've been yeah. busier than a one-legged man in an ass kicking contest these days so anyway what you got for me dre how would you like to go to hong kong with the kung fu genius from august 21st to the 27th, 2023. Experience Hong Kong like no one else. Take the ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu tour with live commentary from yours truly, the Kung Fu genius. Visit hot tourist spots as well as off the beaten path locations, perfect for Wing Chun and martial art enthusiasts. If you ever wanted to go to Hong Kong to see Wing Chun sites, movie stuff, and of course experience this amazing city, here's your perfect opportunity. Packages include seven days of seeing the sites with me as your guide, and for those who want some training, a Wing Chun seminar with me and with Sifu Mak Chi Kong is part of one of the offers. The packages include the best insider tour of Hong Kong you can possibly get. To reserve your spot, click on the link in the description of this episode for all the information you need and for booking. Spots are running out fast, so get yours today. Once I reach the cap, I will close the registration, so don't wait. Again, click that link in the description to get booked for the 2023 Ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu Tour. And I'll see you in Hong Kong. I think I got a question from Andrew Lin. Andrew Lin? Yeah. All right. We know okay. that guy. I know that guy. I've yeah. heard of that guy. Yeah, straight out the gate, out the gate. How mm. would you define the difference between a martial arts hobbyist 
and a serious practitioner. Uh-huh. Do you see it as a spectrum from one to the other, or there, or are there certain hard distinctions? Mm, that's really difficult because martial arts is such an individual journey for everyone and uh you know what one person defines as hardcore training uh the other person calls a warm-up you know what i mean yeah um it's difficult because i think that you know people can't help but uh kind of just see what's around them as kind of what they consider normal and like like i said in the in the whole training thing right like there are some students who you know come twice a week and they just do it for fun. So obviously they're not like hardcore, right? I like to say I'm a hardcore hobbyist. Hardcore hobbyist. Yeah. That's good yeah. too. Because I another started category. out as a hobbyist. Right, right. But somehow... Yeah, you got they, really they, into it. Yeah. Yeah, but I, th- I think part of the problem is also all these labels. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, um, you know, uh, like, like what I was going to say before is like, you know, some students will come twice a week and they'll have yeah. a really good workout. They're like, ah, oh, Sifu, you really killed us today or whatever. And it's like... You know, I made them do like like a three minute nonstop shadow boxing mm-hmm. uh, circuit at the end of the class when they were already tired, and I just like really really pushed them for three minutes. And I'm like, oh god, you totally killed us! And I'm like, this isn't this is like this is like my warm up for my own training. You know what I mean? Like so uh, yeah. so it it it, it depends. It's all a matter of perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And and also like whether someone is hardcore, uh, but are they also professional? Are they teaching professionally? Are they a professional fighter? I think it's very difficult. And I think sometimes sometimes the problem with martial arts is are all of these labels, you know? Um, uh, is this person a martial artist or a martial hobbyist? Is this person like hardcore or are they just a casual? Are they mm-hmm. this, are they that? And I think that- I'm sure there's some casuals that turn pro. For sure, they, at they, some they, point. They, they sort of- the you got skills, you need to go pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or maybe they're just uh, super hyper casuals in the, uh, in the comments and then they decide to go full <laughs> pro keyboard warrior as well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think it's difficult to, the problem is by defining all these different categories, you say, oh, this person's a hobbyist, this person's this. I think the only category that I occasionally do like to call out are the dabblers. And it's really funny mm-hmm. because, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times, like the people who are like professional white belts, uh, who are the people who always have the attitude of a white belt, right? Which means that they're always looking to learn. So being a professional white belt is a good thing. But then they're I'm professional. to learning. Then they're professional yellow belts. Yeah. And okay. these are people who stick around for a style for six months and then peace out and do the next thing and stick around for that. And because they always think that the answer to their problems is in the thing they haven't done yet. So, so they, they never look internally to themselves in, in, in terms of uh, um, maybe it's not these 10 different martial arts I tried out. Maybe it's me. All right. Mm. And, you know, taking ownership of what they're learning and trying to get better at something by really embracing it. Uh, they always just they go, OK, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to do this martial art for I'm going to do this martial art now. This is the best martial art to do. And then six months later, when they realize oh, it's a lot of hard work to do that martial art, uh, but maybe this other one will be easier to learn. And then they go to the next one. And then then the same thing happens, and the same thing happens. Those are professional yellow belts, right? And I talked about this, and it was funny, because the majority of the comments when I talk about that, they're like, yeah, you know, it's it's unfortunate that there's this kind of dabbler attitude. But Mm -hmm. also, to be fair, every martial arts school makes tons of money off of dabblers, all right? 
because the, the guys the guys who come in and then they buy everything and they take a bunch yeah. of lessons for six months and then they peace out. Okay, well, fine. I mean, that was six months of tuition that you wouldn't have otherwise got. It's just frustrating from a martial arts instructor perspective because when students come into your school, whether they're talented or untalented, you only see, or at least the way I look at it, is you only see potential. You know, sometimes students will have their own complexes about like, oh God, I'm not that good, or oh, it's taking me a little bit longer. And, and they have like all these kind of self-doubts about whether they can do it or whether they're good or, or whether they can st should stick around. But you see their and, potential. And you only see potential as a martial arts instructor, especially when you're an old fart like me that's been around for a while. <laughs> because I've seen people come into my school yeah. who had two left feet. Mm. You know, people who are like, you know, klutzy, for lack of a better term, uncoordinated. Mm. And they just loved it. And they stuck around. And sometimes they would work so hard that they would start to overcome these physical, you know, deficiencies wow. that they have or these uh, coordination problems because they just got, they just put in the time. Like me. And they, yeah, and they weren't comparing themselves to other Clutzy. people, right? Got it. They weren't going like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm no good because that guy's better or whatever. They would just come and they enjoyed it and they put in the time and they put in the effort without all the extra chatter about where do they stands compared to other people who joined before or after them and they eventually ended up being good or they eventually developed some skills and then there are other people who are super super klutzy who still loved it and still stuck with it and mm -hmm. 10 years later are su still super klutzy yeah but they love it yeah so what is it for me why should i say that this person is not as good as the other person because Whatever martial arts are to you, it's your own personal journey. Not everyone who comes in the school is to be a fighter or a Wing Chun instructor or, or the best or whatever. They could just come, you know, like, I think it's really difficult, especially like in Wing Chun where there, a lot of guys are like, well, the students aren't doing the form with perfect stance and elbow pressure and, you know, position and posture and they don't internalize, oh, it's no good and they're not learning. And they, dude, sometimes people just come because they hate their boss. All right, they work eight hours at a job they can't stand. And they come just want to come and, here. And this, is their, this is their third place, right? Everyone <laughs> yeah. should have a third place. You have home, you have work, and what's your third place? Mm. For a lot of people, it might be a bar. For some mm. people, it might be, for some dudes, it could be a strip club, all okay. right? You, you know, yeah, like our, like our sound boy over here, right? It's my fourth place. Who, who, keeps, who keeps reminding us that we got to hurry up and record by 1030 because he has somewhere yeah, to be somewhere all right to be. yeah he's gonna he's get that early that. morning steak yeah. at the uh, rivies all right yeah. sapphires around the corner sapphire see they know all the names of these right they do. Okay. sapphire's brunch yeah so <laughs> wow so so that that that's the thing is like what whatever whatever brunch and boobies whatever yeah. martial arts means it's an individual thing okay all right and and you can't tell someone why they do it or what their journey is some people just some people come here because it's just their third place, right? They don't mm. want to go home right away after work. They want to do something fun and change their lives and, and do something that is like mentally challenging and physically challenging and they enjoy it. So the problem is to say like, oh, to, to start to define some people as, uh, you know, hardcore or hobbyist or whatever, mm, that stuff doesn't bother me. And the only people that piss me off are dabblers mm -hmm. um, because I just go... You, you, you go to every martial arts school thinking it's going to solve all your problems without you putting in the work. And there's no martial arts school under the sun that can do that. Man. Whatever martial art you want to do from, 
from Tai Chi to Wing Chun to karate or jiu-jitsu or boxing. If you really want to get something out of it, you got to put in work. And uh, so the dabblers are the only people that annoy me because I just find that if they just had a slight attitude adjustment, they could just be they could be finally be good at something. Mm, they got right. the whole closet full of yellow belts. They got a full closet full of yeah. yellow belts and uniforms and t-shirts <laughs> and intro programs and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so I, I don't, when I see someone come in, like I said, and they're super klutzy or they're not very coordinated or whatever, um, as long as they keep coming in and putting in the work, that doesn't bother me at all. So, you know, as long as people put in the time, I don't go like, you know, oh, this person has potential, this person doesn't. Because if you teach enough students, you yeah. will always have some people who are going to come in, they'll be future instructors. Some people will come in, they'll be very good practitioners of style. And you have other people who come in just because they enjoy it. And you have other people who come in and they're somewhere in between. And I think because a lot of Wing Chun schools or a lot of Wing Chun teachers teach as part-time hobbyists, mm -hmm. they only teach a few students. So you know what happens? They put a huge burden on that few number of students that they have. Because, you know, mm. well, like when I hear a lot of the things like about like, oh, you know, you have to teach every student this way and they have to be this good and they have to do all this kind of stuff uh, to to, you know, be a proper Wing Chun student. There's like a certain bar or whatever. I go, oh, you, you probably teach five people. That's why. Ah. OK. And if you only teach a few people because you're super traditional, then, of course, you're going to teach it with all of these really high bars in terms of like what you know, qualifies them to learn this and do that or whatever. And you'll be very proud of that. And that's totally fine. But the, that also means that your martial art really doesn't help anyone except the people who are the most hardcore into Wing Chun. That's why you only have five students. And I think that if you, if you have a situation like I did where I can teach openly and teach professionally, you have the ability to affect a lot more people positively in their lives. People who are not going to be a Wing Chun Sifu in the future or a fighter or, or you know, you're a really awesome practitioner who's going to take it to the next level. They're here because the self-confidence they get from the training here allows them to manage a difficult situation at home or at work or allows them to feel more confident, right? And if you only teach the hardcore types because you're such a hardcore traditional Wing Chun instructor and everyone's got to be a fighter and, and everyone's got to be this, that or whatever, it's like, okay you also miss a chance to help a lot of people because I'll tell you something. Mm -hmm. There's only a small percentage of people who have the, uh, the stick-to-itiveness to really stay for the long haul and to, and to get good and to train hard. That's only a small percentage. And what happens in these hardcore small schools that are ultra-traditional is you just happen to have a higher percentage of those hard, more hardcore people. But that's confirmation bias. That's not your awesome training methods that bring all those people up. That's just the fact that the only people who even find you are the people who are really into it because no one can find you because no one knows who you are. Oh, oh, you see what I mean? Yeah. And so here's the thing. I can tell you haven't had been teaching for 20 years and taught hundreds of students every year, like lots and lots of people. When you teach lots of people, the majority of them are not going to be great. All right? But a percentage of them will. Mm -hmm. Let's say truly... 5% of your students have potential to be really good. And a smaller percentage of those have the potential to be uh, outliers, okay? 5%, let's say. 5% are like the ones that are good, mm. all right? Now, of course, people are going to go, no, all my students are really good. Bro, you teach six people, all right? You teach, you teach the six people in your town who searched you out, all right? This is confirmation bias. You're only, oh, right. you're only teaching the 5%, okay. all right? 
when you teach, uh, if you have 100 students, mm-hmm. all right, then you got five bangers mm. and one or two really awesome ones. Mm. And over the next few years, you teach a few hundred more students, you get five more here, five more there, five more here. At the end of 10 years, you have 15 CIFA level instructors who are good, yeah. all right? When you look at that, that's a that's small percentage. I mean, I have like about 15 Sifus under me, right? When you look at that for 20 years, some people may be qualified more, some people may be qualified less, but I've taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, yeah. hundreds of people, and these are the people who made it, Man. all right? But all those other people I taught who didn't make it, Wing Chun made them feel better about themselves, they had a good time, they had a sense of community, and... Um, they didn't have the stress of having to be that good because I wasn't just teaching six people in my basement. So I think that th- th- there's a problem with like, the, the, you know, like, oh, I teach in a traditional way. Oh, that means you teach five people. You teach the five people who can handle your boring ass training. <laughs> oh, gotcha. All right. That, 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 that's what it means to me. That's it. Uh-huh. All right. All right. That's no, that's no mark of an excellent instructor. And that's no mark of someone who really uh, uh, wants to help people. That's usually that instructor's ego. Mm-hmm. They don't want their students to be uh, not perfect. So you just select a few people who are really hardcore and you teach them and then you go, see, look what a great instructor I am. And then you just selected the few people who can stick around and deal with that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. But you missed the chance to help um, some dude who doesn't have the confidence to ask his boss for a raise. And you missed the the chance to help a, a woman who's in an abusive relationship have the confidence to leave, which has happened multiple times here. Like, you know, they said, you know, after training here, I had the confidence to tell that dude to fuck off and they left. It's not about fighting. But no, you want to be hardcore and mm. only teach the most hardcore. Okay. So then you have three students who are really, really good. And now two of them moved. And, they're, and, and the other one just started a family. He's not going to keep teaching. Oh, man. Now... After your 10 years of hardcore training, your five guys, you got no one left. Damn, All right? damn, this is the damn. story of most traditional Kung Fu styles that are taught in their traditional hardcore way. Yeah, only teach the most hardcore. Great. All right. And 10 years from now, how many of them are going to be left? It means when you're old, too old to teach, you're not going to have anyone who can take over. And there's really going to be no one to hold the banner. All right. There are amazing institutions of Chinese martial arts here in New York from the 70s and the 80s. Still around, yeah. They're around, but because they did not think about legacy, mm-hmm. they're teaching in a park somewhere. People who had huge schools in the 70s, teaching in a park somewhere. And there's no, um, there's no solid, um, I guess, line of succession for some of these amazing styles. And it's all scattered because they just didn't think about it. They didn't think about teaching martial arts in a way that affects a bunch of people. And then, and then from this huge pool of talent, finding the ones who can take it, take it to the next generation and building them up. Um, and now in the twilight years of their life, their styles are dying. And, um, and that's just because they didn't think of the future. I know you get super salty when I always talk about like, yeah, one day I'm not going to be around. That's, All right. I know that shit off. pisses you off. All right. Yeah. But it's true. No. Okay. And I'm um, going before you. The reason... All right. Um, that I Just think based that, on that. Uh, the, the reason that I think I had the chance to learn as much as I did from my teachers in the time that I learned with them compared to some of the other guys who are continuing to learn from some of my former teachers is because I never looked at that time as being an inexhaustible well that will never run out. Mm-hmm. 
So in other words, I didn't say like, well, if I don't get this information now, that's nah, okay. I'll get it, I'll get it next year. Yeah, like yeah. my own students, all right? <laughs> Asking me questions, stuff that they should know already. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, I never do that. Yeah, because why? Because the, the Kung Fu Encyclopedia is at the front of the room. Oh, Just ask him. Man. At some point, you got to own it. You, you got to stop renting your Kung Fu. You got to own it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so every time I would learn from my instructors, you know, I would pay attention and I would try to contextualize what they had taught me to what I had learned before and kind of reconcile these things and compare it and think about it. And then I would go back to New York and I would teach it, especially at the time after I became an instructor, I would go and I would teach it to my instructors and assimilate it and and see how these things worked and then go to Sifu Lao and compare it to how he was doing it and then, and use that to improve um, what I was teaching and what I was doing. And also more importantly, to internalize it. Okay. Rather than just go like, oh, I learned that thing at a seminar. You know, how I remember going to seminars with uh, Sifu Lang Teng and uh, would learn something. And uh, let's say he's teaching some wooden dummy cheese out or whatever, and I would learn it and then would come to the next seminar. And there would be some of the same people that I trained with last time. And they'd be like, uh, do you remember what we did in the last seminar? Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 I'm like, and, and it was funny because I would... You know, like they weren't my students. These were colleagues of mine. These were other instructors in the association. And I would go, wait a minute. You flew all the way to wherever at great expense to learn from Sifu Leungtang. You, you paid all this money. And the freaking man himself showed you this uh, bit of wooden dummy cheese sour or whatever. This thing that, you know, normally was not taught very openly. And you had the chance to learn it. And you forgot it. Like... I'm sorry, all right? Yeah. And Andrew, you're going to have to edit this. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> oh, all right? There was, for, for me, like, like it's like, there's no chance I'm going to, like, forget this stuff. It was like, and, and they're like, yeah, but I don't have any students who are at wooden dummy level. Well, at that time, yeah, neither did I, all right? And you know what I did? I went back. I wrote it down. Uh, occasionally, people would come and visit me from who are a higher level in Wing Chun. I would try it out with them, but I would go through the whole thing in my head, and I would practice it, all right? And I would use the transferable skills I had learned on my own students. Okay, I cannot train these certain drills because my students maybe at that time had not learned it. But that doesn't mean the transferable skill, the thing that, not the drill itself, the thing that the drill is supposed to teach you. That thing I can apply with my students when I do sparring. And then when I would come back, I'd be like, yeah, of course I remember that. And I would have to like re-show them the thing that I trained with that same person on the last seminar so that we can then go ahead and do the new thing, right? And, and it blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. There were students in the IWTA who had learned the long pole with me from Sifu Lang Tang. All right? The long pole. We went, learned it together. And then years later after I left, came back to me to learn it. And these were people that learned the pole alongside with me from him. Wow. And I'm teaching them the stuff that I learned That's in the trippy. same room with them. Yeah. All right? And, and, and it's not to say that I'm ultra talented or anything like that. No, I'm really stubborn when I learn something and I'm really stubborn when I want something. Mm-hmm. But I never thought that my time with Sifu Leung Teng, for example, was an inexhaustible well that would never end. Not that I had planned on leaving or whatever, but just anything can happen. He can retire. Um, 
something else can happen to him. He can decide to not teach anymore in the U.S., whatever. Like, I can't go like, oh, if I don't get it this time, I'll get it next time. Like, most of his American students. One day we'll get it. Yeah, one day, you got to practice to be good at it one day, but you're getting it now. So do it. What are you waiting for? This isn't a freaking dress rehearsal. All right? So um, that's the reason why I took that attitude. And I don't expect that attitude from everyone who learns from me. And I don't expect everyone to be super hardcore. That's my job. I'm the instructor. I need to be hardcore. My mm. students, they can be whatever they want. It's up to them. They're, I cannot tell them what Wing Chun means to them. So you would, you would consider yourself a hardcore? Nah, I'm a psycho. <laughs> You're beyond hardcore. <laughs> yeah. If anyone, is, if anyone is connected to me on social media, yeah. all right, whether it's Instagram at the Kung Fu Genius or maybe my personal Facebook, which I don't really use that much, mm-hmm. and you see that I'm online yeah. at some weird hour in the morning, oh. all right, I'm going to tell you, uh-huh. I'm thinking about Wing Chun. Yeah. All right. That's what it is. There's something like yeah. in my mind where I am thinking about something. I'm thinking about Bruce Lee. I'm thinking uh-huh. about a technique. I'm thinking about how something developed. I'm thinking about something in the history. Like, and it just won't yeah. let me go. And it's late, late. And you're and not it, looking at ASMR or anything like that. You're looking no, at no, no. There's no A. Stuff. Yeah. I, I'll think about it. And then if I can't go to sleep, then I'll, then I'll do the ASMR. <laughs> right. Then I will go on YouTube and I will listen to Ting Ting <laughs> uh, sell teas or something like that. Yeah. She's got this one where she tells you what teas you should drink. Oh, wow. And that one, that one puts I me to sleep. Tea. That one puts me to sleep yeah. in three minutes. Oh. Ting Ting is a rock star. If you guys don't know what Ting Ting is, all right. Ting Ting is a YouTuber. She Ting, does ASMR. Oh, I thought Ting Ting was a tea. No, no, no. Ting Ting, uh, uh, she does ASMR, which is like all these microphones. It's all these kind of sounds like this. Yeah. When they go in your ear, it makes you want to sleep. For the record, this is going to be the audio book for the wooden dummy. That's right. It's yeah, I should ASMR. get to, I should get Ting Ting to do the audio book. Oh, it would wow. put everyone to sleep. <laughs> Um, and, and so basically it's all these sounds like paper, you know, like folding and stuff. And it's all these things that like when you hear, especially with, uh, headphones, Mm -hmm. it's very soothing and pleasant and puts you to sleep. So when I can't sleep, I'll put, and Ting Tang has got all these like role playing videos and she's got one where she sells, she's like, you're going to her tea shop. And then she tells you, oh, like what different teas are good for what? And she's just talking and this really stuff. She puts me to sleep. So you don't know minutes. what tea is for what? Because you fall asleep. No, <laughs> the, the videos are usually about 25 minutes, uh-huh. I think. And, and I've never made it past the <laughs> eight minute mark on oh, any of her videos. So whatever, whatever she teaches in the, the last half, I don't get. But oh, if man. you guys have a hard time sleeping, get a, get a set of headphones mm-hmm. and uh, listen to Ting Ting on YouTube. <laughs> she's amazing. All right. Okay. So what else you got? Hey everyone, just want to let you know Wing Chun Illustrated is now offering a paperback edition through Amazon, reaching a larger global market. And no, they're not ditching the glossy magazine edition through MagCloud. You can now simply choose the version of this magazine you prefer and the one with the cheapest shipping wherever you live. Order your copy of Wing Chun Illustrated today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping for Prime members. Go and check that out. Okay, let's go into a Patreon question. Fantastic, Patreon. All right. Bradley Evans. Bradley Evans in the house. Thank okay. you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you, Bradley. Shout out to Bradley Evans. Mikey Dean. You got to send a shout out. Shout out to Bradley Evans. Oh, there we go. Thank you. That was ASMR right there. It was padding, <laughs> Paddington Bear ASMR. Uh, so, so since Dre only asked his high pathetical questions. Pathetical. High. Like, like high. Yeah, like but you missed the part that's pathetical, like pathetic. Pathetic, yes. Yeah. 
pathetic. No, I didn't miss that. Yeah, that's not, that's not normally how that word is spelled, though, Jay. Just, uh, <laughs> in case you Questions. That was and I've been listening to you guys for free. I figured it was time to subscribe and actually support one of the only podcasts I listen to. That's right. He supports us because we're the only one he listens to. He's he doesn't right. know how good the other ones are. He doesn't know. <laughs> Let's keep it that way. Especially Beardy. He doesn't know how terrible we are. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Beardy's not a podcast, to be fair. Can you imagine if Beardy had a podcast, like a regular podcast? He, I would love that. He should, should do it. did a live. Oh, oh that'd be a, like a headless live? Yeah, headless live, right? And we could like, all join in, do like, like the Twitter blue check thing, wow. right? And just join in as like different people. You yeah. can join as Linda Lee. Perfect. Ooh. I'll join as Bolo. Okay. You know I mean? Oh, speaking of Bolo. Yeah. We already talked about this. Oh, my bad. There you go. All right. <laughs> love the podcast. Been listening, watching since the end of the dudes. So I was wondering, since I study Hungar, more specifically, Yee's Hungar, and I know very little of WT, but I've read that some long bridge techniques are taught when learning the long pole, and I understand that WT is a very close game slash art. My question is, once you reach the Luk Dum Boon Kwan, hey, huh? did you laugh at that? No, no, no. no. Yeah. I, heard a, I heard a snicker somewhere. No, no, you just, uh, your, your Cantonese has, a cre- has an oddly Mandarin uh, accent. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you further develop the long bridge techniques, not just philosophically, but take what is learned in the weapon and translate it into hand-to-hand combat? Mm. Okay, before we go any further, wait, wait. I don't know much about Hungar, but I didn't realize that Kanye West had his own. Did you say Yee's Hungar? Yes. Yeah. Yee. You, you know, Yee's. He's talking about Frank Yee. Oh. He's a very respected Hungar Sifu here in the New York metropolitan area. Oh. It's not Yee's right. Hungar? It's not, Hunga? Uh, it's not Yeezy. Can you no. imagine Yeezy Hungar? I actually can't. A, I actually a, can't. A My imagination West. will not allow me imagine to Imagine Kanye West taught Kung Fu. No, I'd rather not. Oh, I he bet. didn't teach it. He got other people to teach it and then bitched about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and, then, and, then, and then turned himself into a martyr for it. All right. Oh. So um, anyway, uh, so yeah, that's interesting because uh, in, in, in Wing Chun, we have a saying um, that, you know, the fist is the seed, the starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pole is the teacher mm. and the knives are the mother and father. All right. What? I never heard um, this. Yes, yes, yes. So um, this, is a, this is a Wing Chun saying. Um, so it's interesting because uh, in Wing Chun, as I've discussed before, um, in Wing Chun, the weapons come late compared mm-hmm. to other Chinese martial arts for, for whatever reason. Johnny come late. Um, Wing Chun, no, that's not what that means, by no. the way. Uh, <laughs> Johnny come late. Literally not what that means at all, no. all right? No. Uh, <laughs> You are, weapons come late. Sometimes you say stuff, and I think you're a Johnny come lately to this podcast. <laughs> I gotta know what this means. Yeah, now. you can look it up afterwards. It's like Ron it Burgundy that every time he says "when in Rome," and you're like, no, "Ron, Ron." That's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not how, that's not how you use that phrase. I don't think that means what you think no? it means. You know, oh, like, man. oh man! So don't use that phrase. No, no, with no. That, yeah. With weapons, I can't imagine. Next week he's gonna start using the word plethora. All right. <laughs> I can't wait to use. You ever plethora. see? You ever see uh, Three Amigos? Plethora. Ah. Yeah. Do you want to say I have a yeah. plethora of yeah. gifts? Yeah. <laughs> you see, have a rose can bloom in the desert. Okay. So. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so the the, the 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 long pole and the knives they come they they come late in Yip Man Wing Chun for 
a number of reasons which are not entirely agreed upon and or clear, right? Mm. Obviously, some, you know, every time I say like, well, the weapons usually come last. I mean, traditionally, you teach Sunum Tao Cham Kyu Piuji wooden dummy and then come the comes the pole and then come the knives and then you're gonna have someone no actually you learn like the first half of the dummy after the chum cue or whatever yeah in in your particular line but in the the general gist of how Yip Man Wing Chun was taught that's it, more or less you're mm -hmm. always gonna have individual lineages within Yip Man Wing Chun that do it differently or maybe someone teaches the knives before the pole or whatever but like Okay, but that's in your lineage. This is not, we're talking about the general consensus in Yip Man Wing Chun. We're not talking about your super duper specific lineage that does things differently. So we have to always discount the outliers to that, right? Um, hmm. And it's kind of strange because in, in Chinese martial arts, uh, especially the more orthodox styles like Hong Kun or Choi Lei Fat, weapons are often taught somewhat parallel to the fist fighting technique. So you usually will learn. So, for example, in Hongkun, you will usually learn some fist fighting forms first. Maybe you learn like a small handful, which for Wing Chun people is funny because like we have only a small handful of forms total. Yeah. But like Hongkun has, you know, so many, especially in the, the Lam Zhou family. I remember when wow. Maxifu was here for my 15 year anniversary. Yes. The, the students were like, oh, Maxifu, how many forms, do you know? And he's like... Ah, uh, it's so bad, you know. When I was a kid, uh, when I was younger, I, I used to I used to know more. Yeah. He's like, when I was younger, I used to know about thirty three forms, you know, <laughs> meaning like the fist this. forms and the weapons and the yeah. two man sets. And he's like, now only twenty nine. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the funny thing is, he forgot as many yeah. forms as we have in our entire syllabus yeah. of our style. He's just like. <laughs> Just to give you perspective, and you see how long and complicated a lot of those forms are. And then when my yes. students complain about, you know, a, a chum cue variation or whatever, it's like, calm down, mm. but you don't even have that many forms to remember. Calm down, Damn. right? Um, so it's, Slow down, Sparky. Yeah, so, so for example, a lot of uh, Hongkun practitioners, they might learn a few forms like Mui Fa Kun and Gong Ji Fok Fu Kun and some of these basic forms. Damn. Maybe, maybe even Kun, yeah, like the tiger crane form. Okay. And then maybe their Sifu might, after two or three forms, teach them a weapons form. Uh, a pole or maybe a, a double broadswords, knives, something like that, right? Okay. It's not like this big thing like, oh, now you have finished the system and you're like this super hyper advanced closed door student and now you can learn the weapons. So they can kind of learn it parallel and such is also the case in a lot of the other styles of Choi Lei Fat and stuff. They, 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 you know, probably, I don't know, the syllabus of different schools obviously varies, but they would learn a few hand fist fighting forms, unarmed mm -hmm. sets, and then they might even learn their first basic weapon. But in Wing Chun, we do it very late, partially because, well, one, we don't have that many forms anyway. So uh, even if it just, even if the long pole is just the fifth form, it might be, the weapons might be the fifth form in Hong Kong, but it doesn't take them nearly as long to learn all those forms as it might take a proper Wing Chun practitioner, not yeah. a self-taught uh, forms mill learned Wing Chun practitioner, right? So that means that a lot of the other styles actually have more practice with the weapons than we do. Mm -hmm. But we're very hoity-toity about our weapons because, oh, if you're late, means you're super, you're like if, you're, if you've learned them, that means you've been around for a while, you're a special student, and, uh, blah, 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 and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you're not trash with the long pole. 
All right. Okay. You know what I mean? Just because like you happen to be the person who finally learned it in your school or whatever. But there's a there's a kid who's been doing Hongkun for 10 years and he had a pole put in his hand after a year and a half. And I think he'll beat your ass with his long pole oh. than you will with your super hyper sophisticated Tear Wing Chun long pole that you barely practice because you just started learning it. Right. Okay. So um, that's one of the reasons why I actually lowered the requirements to learn long pole. Here, which is actually funny that I'm talking about this because I'm going to start teaching long pole today. Today, I'm yeah. teaching a whole round of the complete WT long pole system in four courses. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start course one today, right? So it's actually something that's like very top of mind. Um, and I lowered it to teaching it at primary level technician, which for people who are outside of the WT ranking system, basically by the time someone has properly finished Siunam Tao and Chamkyu curriculum, all right? Meaning that they, they know... The, all the, the applications in Chisau and fighting and sparring for mm -hmm. those two forms. And maybe they're just starting Buji, but they don't have to finish Buji. They can already start learning long pole because at that level, you already know enough Wing Chun to understand what we're doing with a long pole. It's almost like learning a slightly different martial art because long pole came from outside of Wing Chun and then was adopted. And then Wing Chun people sullied the Lokdin Bunguan form with a lot of stupid Wing Chun ideas that didn't belong. And, um, ah. and, and th thought that they had improved it. But it's, in my opinion, I don't, I don't really think that that's actually what happened. So, um, so anyway, because the weapons were traditionally taught so late, mm -hmm. all right, I can just tell you a kind of funny, uh, a funny thing that happened in the WT lineage, all right? Um, because until recent years, and by recent years, I mean the, like the last 20 years, like, the, like since I've been kind of on the scene teaching. The, the number of people who actually learned the long pole was, was, was very few, right? Like only you have to be like a high-ranking technician and not everyone really had the chance to learn it. So as a result, the people who learned the long pole, they were like rock stars. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, Sifu so-and-so learned the long pole. And you're like, oh, holy shit, all right? So then what happens when you have something that is kind of highly valued, and somewhat mystified because not that many people learned it. Then come all the exaggerated claims. So I remember at the time when I was uh, learning in Germany, it was still before they opened up learning the advanced technique more and more. When I was learning there, it was still like, oh, you have to be super advanced, to learn dummy and learn all this stuff. Um, I mean, as you should, but, but by advance, I mean, like sometimes it would make you wait a really long time. Even if you were ready, some people were overcooked by the time they learned dummy, right? They could have learned it way earlier. Right. And so with the long pole, it was like, oh, well, when you learn the long pole, you're going to get all this great, these great strength training benefits. Right. Which is true. Your, your forearm strength, shoulders, your stance. And so by training the long pole, there's this calisthenic effect there's the strength training effect tendon ligament strength so it was always kind of understood that if you start training the long pole you're going to have improvement in your grip strength when you do things like lap sao or jat sao mm. you're going to have more power in your punches because now you're learning to project your power instead of at to the end of your arm now at the end of a nine foot long pole right so you're now you have better power transfer skills uh, thicker stronger tendons and, and so it was always understood that if you do the long pole, it's going to make you stronger. It's going to like cross fit for Qing Dynasty Sifus, right? All right. Uh, that is the long pole. It's like it's the original strength training, right? And uh, but then there were also these claims like, well, you know, there's also long pole fighting applications in fist fighting. All right. 
And then it was like, so if you learn the long pole, there's like certain long pole maneuvers that you're going to be able to apply in fist fighting. And then because the long pole was taught after dummy, it was always understood that like, and that secret long pole stuff you're going to learn is going to defeat the stuff you learned in the dummy. Mm. So it was kind of like the Chumkyu defeats the Siunamtao, the Buji defeats the Chumkyu, the wooden dummy defeats Buji, the long pole defeats uh, wooden dummy, right? And then the knives defeat the pole, right? Whoa, Which is kind of ridiculous. Um, because uh, if, if I had a long pole or knives in my hand, then I, yeah, I don't really care if you know the wooden dummy. I was a beat your ass because yeah. I have a weapon in my hand, okay? Right. All right. But the idea was that no, it was you could use the you could use fist fighting tactics that came out of the long pole to defeat someone who had learned the wooden dummy. And then when you learn the knives, you can transfer the knife fighting skills into fist fighting and use that then to defeat the person who knew the super secret long pole fist fighting. And the thing is that that's actually not how Sifu Leung ever taught Wing Chun. That was the rumor in Europe for a very long time. That was very pervasive. Uh-huh. And I remember in, in the Wing Chun long pole, we have, a, um, we have an exercise called Jin Kun. Jin Kun means arrow punch, all right? All, often mistranslated as battle or war punches, but it doesn't make sense because you, you wouldn't punch in a war. Oh. Okay. That's the proverbial bringing a pocket knife to a gunfight. All right. Yeah. Because the, the problem is those two Chinese characters actually sound identical. The, the character for arrow and the character for war. And a lot of people translate it as war punches or battle punches. And a Sifu Lang Ting once said, he's like, who the hell would punch in a war? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is totally wrong. Totally wrong. Too. All right. So there's the, these arrow punches, and, and you learn them, I'm going to teach them today for the first part of long pull. You, you know, you're in a nice deep horse stance, and you basically punch off the shoulder, and you do this twisting, turning, punching thing, right? And it's really to develop your waist and core strength for being able to manage the long pull, and obviously for developing your legs. And it has this additional benefit of teaching you now to target off the shoulder, which is different. Obviously, in Wing Chun, when we fight, we fight square. Now, when you have a long pole, the center line is the shoulders, right? So you're going to have to now do it this way. So the arrow punching drill is like this very kung fu looking like thing where you're in this deep horse stance. You're punching in one line to the shoulder and you step and punch sideways like this, right? There's even one photo of Grandmaster Yip Man performing it, which is very rare. And uh, it's very kung fu looking, right? The main purpose of this exercise is exactly what I had mentioned. One, you're building leg strength and you know, you're, you're training your pole step. You're developing some waist rotation and core strength, which is necessary for wielding this weapon. And you are now training your eye to basically look down your shoulder as the center line rather than to look straight ahead. Mm-hmm. So it has some physical benefit and it has some conceptual ideas in there as well. And a lot of Wing Chun, I'm talking about WT people, had seen some of their seniors who maybe started the long pole do this arrow punching thing. And they go, wow, look at that. That must be one of those fist fighting things that gets applied uh, from the pole into fist fighting. And I'll, and I'll never forget, there was a WT instructor in the height of, uh, in, in the early 2000s, there was a lot of hoopla about... Um, Sifu Langting's Hong Kong system being remarkably different from what was being taught in Europe, okay? And uh, part of 
the hoopla for all of this was created by a guy with an Italian name. I won't mention his name because he's, he because every time I talk about him, he, I get a bunch of frantic text messages from him. Um, and then for half the time, I'm not actually talking about him and he thinks okay. I'm talking about him. And we had mentioned this, it was like in season one, yeah. where I talked about Sifu Lang Tang, everyone wants him to be Yoda, but he's actually the emperor. Yeah. And then for some reason, this Italian name guy thought I was talking about him. And then I woke up to WhatsApp messages yeah. that you would have to scroll for days just to read all of it. Right. And it was like, oh, bro, I wasn't talking about you. Yeah. He all probably right. thinks you're talking about him right now. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. funny. I listened to that. What's that Carly Simon song? Yes. You're, so, you're vain. so vain. I bet you yeah, I literally listened to that you. song in the car on the way here. <laughs> and I was thinking about this guy. You probably think this song is about you, right? It reminds you yes. of him. All right. So and and every about- time I'll, I'll say people, if someone asked me what I thought about him and I'm like, well, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and he read it. And then he's like, oh, someone sent this to me. He's like, shut up. You read it. Yeah. He's, he's a comment stalker, right? And, and, and I, you know, you, on Instagram, you can see who, who looks at your stories, right? You know, you can <laughs> right. see that, right? He doesn't follow me. But, he, but homeboy looks at all my stories. He's the worst stalker in the world, right? Anyway, I had to, I had to, I had to block him. You got to get someone much. else to look at he's the like stories. A, he's, like a, he's like a, imagine a psycho ex-girlfriend that you never dated. Mm, okay, oh, so yeah, you never even had the benefit of having a relationship with this yeah. person at any point, but you get all the psycho. Oh, all right, it's so basically with this Italian guy. So anyway, because of this Italian guy, there was this huge <laughs> perception that um, there's like you know what Sifu Langting taught the Hong Kong system is like so different from the European system, whatever. And then he used that to kind of get a lot of people to come over and and teach them, right? And uh, I remember at that there was like in the early 2000s, and there was a lot of that stuff, and that was about the time that I started learning from Sifu Langting. So I learned in Europe and I was like, okay, well, a lot of people are saying that the Hong Kong system is different. And now I have the chance to actually go to, to learn directly from the grandmaster and then see, compare it myself. I've learned the European version. Now let mm-hmm. me see how different it is from what Sifu Langting tells me. I don't need to go to one of these latter day European saints who are gonna come and preach the gospel of Hong Kong Wing Chun when they cannot, they don't even know enough Cantonese to order tea, all right? Um, <laughs> I can now Man. learn it directly from, from the horse's mouth, right? And I remember there was a video around at that time from Europe, from someone, not, not from this Italian guy, but from someone else, who was kind of like showing like Hong Kong Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. And he was doing, you know, at least what their perception of Hong Kong Wing Chun was, right? And he was doing some chi zhao exercise and he did a, a, like a pak da and his partner put him in the, 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 the pak chang zhao, the, the, the first lock where you kind of wrench someone's arm and yeah. twist them this way here, right? right? And then, you know, you have the, the defense with the gum zhao and then you use the shoulder hit, right? Which is all very standard WT stuff, right? So you go here, boom, you hit him with the shoulder. And then as soon as he hit him with the shoulder, he popped a squat into the horse stance mm-hmm. and then did... The, the arrow punches from the dummy and oh. punch the guy in the in the stomach and push him back. And I remember seeing that and thinking like scandal. Okay, my wing. Well, first of all, I was only a first level technician at that time, so I had not yet. I knew the the lock defense that he started with, but I didn't know about like this drop in a squat and doing this thing. But I knew that that thing was from the long pole. Yeah, and I had not yet learned the long pole, so I was like, oh, <laughs> wow, like that. That's and I remember thinking. Yeah, I had some cognitive dissonance about watching that, you know, meaning that I had like two different beliefs going on in my head at the same time, and I right. couldn't reconcile them. The one belief was, wow, that's really cool looking. 
like visually there was something cool because Wing Chun, you know, we normally stay upright. You know, it's like very fast punches, maybe mm -hmm. a turn, a shift with some low kicks. It's like it has a certain look to it and it doesn't stray much visually. Right. Because it's a it's a practical system where we kind of stick to a, a script in terms of how we move in general. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you don't see like a lot of variation movement wise unless you get into neck pulls and sweeps and things like that. Uh, Wing Chun of most stripes generally is kind of upright, short movements in front of you, stepping in, low kicks. You know, there's, there's not like a whole lot of fluctuation like you see in the other styles. So one part of my brain was like, well, that's really visually appealing because yeah. you're going from this like very upright Wing Chun style and then suddenly, bam, 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 you're on the bottom. You're, you're, you're like in this horse and thought that you do these punches. Like, to this day, I actually still think it looked cool. Okay. But the other part of my brain was like, that makes no effing sense as far as Wing Chun goes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Why would you drop down, put your head in front of him where he's going to like knee you in the face? Uh -huh. And like there, there were all these things where it was like my Wing Chun brain was like, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But my general Kung Fu lover brain was like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And then I was like, wow, one day when I learn the long pole, I'm going to learn how, how and why this thing works. Uh -huh. So I kind of stored that thing away. And, uh, and I was like, all right, uh, for a future date, I will ask, when I finally learn the long pole, I will ask Sifu Tang what the deal with this is, right? Like, why would you do something like that, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. And then so, you know, flash forward years later, no. before I learned the long pole, I, was, I had already been learning from Sifu Tang for a few years. And then so I had already gotten kind of oh. a feel for his vibe. And I was already starting to feel like, I think that thing I saw a bunch of years ago was kind of bullshit. <laughs> like even before I learned the long pole, I think I think this was a problem that because in Europe there was such hysteria about oh you know the Hong Kong program is so different from the European program okay and like all oh, the sections are different which is funny because the the people always thought it was about what sections and how the sections the chi sao sections were taught in Hong Kong and in Hong Kong they barely taught chi sao sections that was such a European thing to learn all the sections and the variations and all that. In Hong Kong, you, you learn by hand from your Sifu. They don't uh -huh. need to teach you sections, right? So, so anyway, uh, I was already starting to feel like, oh, I think th there was a lot of stuff in the early 2000s where I go, I think these guys think this is Hong Kong Wing Chun, but okay. this is just, this is the game of telephone, all right? Mm. You tell this guy, you tell this guy, that guy tells that 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 guy, and then you're the last guy at the end there going like, this is Hong Kong Wing Chun, all right? And it's like, no. The guy who actually saw Sifu Leung Ting was eight rows ahead of you, buddy, all right? And he said, you know, he said chicken strips, and you are, you know, and you're, you're, you said skyscraper, all right? We're oh, not even talking no. about the same thing now, right? So anyway, um, I remember then I kind of asked it, asked him as a you gag. You asked him. You, oh, I asked as him a as a gag, gag because I knew that it was kind of you bullshit. You knew. And I go, uh, I go, Sikong, like, you know, the, the arrow punches, <laughs> you know, the one that we use for the... Uh, for the basic training, I go, do we apply those in fighting like that? And he just looked at me and he goes, why would you do that? Why, why would you stand sideways uh -huh. when you're fist fighting, when someone can take your back? All right. Why would you put all your stock in this one punch? And if it misses, you're totally out of position. Mm. All right. He goes, no, this is for developing your stance and your waist to give you, like he said, a strong tummy, as he said. Strong tummy. And, and to learn how to punch down the side. He goes, that's what it's for. He's like, why would you do that? He goes, so, so if, if you use the, the bok da, the shoulder hit, you wouldn't drop down and do this thing. And I kind of showed it in front of him and he just started laughing. <laughs> he goes, what kind of idiotic thing is this? And, 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 oh and so, so there was this huge perception in Europe that there were all these like 
these specific things in the pole yeah. that you were going to learn and apply in fist fighting. Then when you actually learn the pole, you realize, no, 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 dude, it's the other way around. Damn. It's, it's the stuff you learned in fist fighting that you apply with the pole. You just have to learn how to do it with a pole because it's different. Doing the long pole is like doing danchi. It's like doing Wing Chun with, a nine, with one nine foot long arm. Mm. So you have the same idea. You have the straight line. You have the, the, the punch, the, the piu long chang, right? Or the piu, right? Which is like our straight punch. And then you have tan and fu. And you have all these low line defenses and sweeps, mm. which is like guat. You have circle. All right. You even have shapes like bong, right? Okay. And so it's actually the other way around that your, your Wing Chun fist fighting, especially your chi sao and your interactive stuff, influences how you understand the long pole. Now, there are certain things on the long pole you have to do differently because it's a big unwieldy weapon. Okay. So you don't do it exactly the same like you do it in fist fighting. And then there's some maneuvers and tactics which are a little bit different from how you would do it in fist fighting because it's not fist fighting. It's a nine foot long pole, all right? So there are certain adaptations and adjustments. Um, but this idea that you're going to like drop sideways and do a long pole punch to your opponent, right? And then sometimes like Siva Langtang, one time in a demonstration, he, um, uh, you know, he was showing some kind of multiple attacker thing or whatever. And, uh, and, and so he basically showed how he's going to escape, but this guy's over here. So he, he sat and he, he sat down on his leg and punched this guy here sideways. Oh. But he punches this guy because he basically wants to run over there, right? And it's, of course, I don't like multiple attacker scenarios because... They are wild. Well, well first, it's, it's all wild. Multiple, what's multiple yeah. attacker defense? It's, it's a pair of running shoes, yeah. all right? Yeah. Throwing other useful idiots in the way, all right? Yeah. Finding a door, finding a cop, getting the hell out of there, all right? It's, it's not like, okay, let me show you these five techniques which always work against multiple attacker. No, you got to run because mm -hmm. if one person grabs you in a headlock, if you're in a single fist fighting situation, all right, and we're, uh, we're fighting and you suddenly put me in a headlock, Okay, I can, I can defend a headlock. It's procedural, right? I go here, create a frame space, all this kind of stuff, right? But if we're a multiple attacker situation and you put me in a headlock and yes. I start going through that there, well, the other guys start punching me. So even though I can defend the individual attacks you give me if it was on a one-on-one, -on -one, if it was in a one-on-one -on -one situation, like you yeah. put me in a headlock in a one-on-one -on -one situation, okay, I can deal with that. I know how to defend headlocks and different variations. Mm -hmm. But... You now grab me in that same headlock, but now there's three other guys. And by the time I'm working my headlock defense, the other guys are wailing on me. Mm. So the thing is that what, what technique, because the techniques you use in single combat, especially against grabbing attempts, you literally can't do them in a multiple attacker scenario because you need a moment or two to get out of the grip or to maneuver a better position. And that's the moment when the other guy starts wailing on the back of your head. So tell me what techniques do you do in multiple attacker training? Freaking run, yeah. okay? Yeah. You 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 fight while escaping. You know, you you give one punch per customer while you're running to the door. You don't go in there and chain punch someone three times. You chain punch someone three times, it's two punches too many. The other guys are jumping on you. Okay? So so anyway, but that, that's besides the point. That's a topic for another day. So anyway, Siva Langton was showing this like and he, he turns sideways and he hits this guy. And then he kind of runs and like tosses the other guy into the other guy and then shows how he goes to the door. Uh -huh. Right. So same tactic, like Siva Lengting in essence is also teaching you to fight while escaping, but he just showed like one or two things. Like he said, you could do like this. And then I remember someone saw him punching sideways this way here. And someone said, ah, long pole. <laughs> but, but the thing is, did, did Siva Lengting say that that punch was from the long pole? It's just that if I have to keep my eye on this guy, 
all right, who's 45 degrees to my left, and I have an opponent who's 90 degrees to my right, I can't fully turn my back on that guy and punch. So you have to create a modification of the system. You can't say, well, I got to fight square, because a lot of those tenants are built on single combat. So I might have to punch this guy kind of at a weird, janky position so I can keep yeah. my eye on this guy over here, all right? But then you have someone who's assuming that all of these secrets are from the long pole. Oh, no. And then they go like, oh, look, it's a long pole punch. Damn. And it's not. It's just a modification of our drop step punch. It's not a long pole punch, right? Damn. So the problem is that there was a lot of confirmation bias for a very long time about these specific things. Now, like I said, what are the benefits of long pole to your actual fist fighting, okay? So like wheels on the ground, rubber hits the road. Um, if you're not learning long pole for the sake of just learning long pole as an art, like how to fight with this weapon against other weapons, but you now have to say, yeah, but how does it benefit my unarmed fighting, okay? Mm -hmm. How about just learn the long pole because it's fucking awesome, yeah. all right? Because you're gonna learn a weapon which is fun and challenging and difficult, yeah. and you're gonna learn how to fight against another similar weapon and also against other types of weapons and it's cool to have that skill. But everyone goes, how does it affect my, my unarmed skills? Well, first of all, anything you do in martial arts generally has a collective improvement in your understanding of martial arts, right? So if you're a Wing Chun person and you love Wing Chun, mm -hmm. and let's just say you just took a one-off wrestling class, like you didn't get into wrestling, you just took one wrestling class, all right? You would learn wrestling so you a different posture, different grips, different, totally different idea of what you're even trying to do. Oh, right. But I guarantee you that whatever you learn in that one wrestling class, you're going to go like, ah, oh, you know, the, I see this thing is similar to something we do in Wing Chun. Or I see if someone did this thing to me, now I have a better appreciation of it. So the thing, like Bruce Lee said, all knowledge ultimately means self-knowledge. So even if you took a one-off wrestling class, yeah. even though that would have nothing to do with the Wing Chun that you do, you would see something, parallels, something you could improve. Like maybe the wrestling coach just said, hey, when you grab someone's arm, you need to grab with your fingers in this position to get a better pull. And then suddenly you go, wow, this little tid tidbit that I got can improve how I do lapsal. Okay. So suddenly this random wrestling thing made your lapsal better or this ability to do something, even if you just took one class. So just by doing long pole, which is a martial art in and of itself, you're gonna see parallels to your fist fighting and you're gonna see things that are gonna improve the way you do things. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's dropping a squat into a horse stance and giving someone two side-on punches to the gut. All right, it's a lot more subtle than that. So what are our takeaways from the long pole to our fist fighting, okay? Well, one, the aforementioned strength training benefits, yeah. right? Better grip strength, stronger legs, postural stuff, and the ability to transfer power further out now that you have to transfer that power through a weapon as opposed to just the end of your arm. So there's a physical uh, and there's an attribute-based kind of improvement to the whole project of you as a martial artist by learning long pole. Right. But then... You know, kind of, you know, like I said, wheels on the road, kind of like, how, what else do you learn? Well, you learn that with a big weapon, mm -hmm. you have to move very efficiently because if you don't, your arms are going to get tired, your grip's going to get tired. So you have to learn how to use your body to manipulate the weapon a little bit. Otherwise, if you're just using your arms to wield the long pole, you're going to be weak, but you're also going to be inefficient. You're going to get tired. So there's a certain efficiency in terms of like using your body 
to move move you rather than moving from the limbs, mm -hmm. which you should already know before you learn long pole, by the way. But the long pole is going to reinforce that. Again, all knowledge ultimately means self-knowledge. Sometimes the best thing something can teach you is to reinforce something you should already know, not to just keep piling on new shit on your plate. You see what I mean? So then you learn to be more efficient. That's a huge takeaway. When someone attacks you with a weapon, all right, the long pole, you have to always position yourself, meaning your body, mm -hmm. behind the weapon in between you and your opponent's weapon. All right, so if my opponent is attacking me with a pole, I need to be in a position where my pole is in between me and that opponent's attack. Well, guess what? That's exactly the same as what we're doing with our arms. Sweet. When you're sticking to someone, you are, you are sticking to the point and your body, your, the, the targets, the vital bits are behind the contact point. It's something you already learned in Chisa, but the long pole reinforces it even more. All right. Uh, using a shorter, quicker action. In, in the long pole, we have a saying, uh, which is the pole doesn't make two sounds. Meaning that we don't go like some Kung Fu styles, clack, 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 clack. Someone attacks, you go clack, 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 sweep, clack. All right, it's like five clacks. In Wing Chun, we don't make two sounds. When someone attacks you, the one sound is both the defense and the offense hitting the opponent in one movement. Okay. Which sounds very similar to our simultaneous offense and okay. defense idea too. But when you do it with a long pole, you now have only one thing to do it with instead of two things like with your hands. So you have to then take this simultaneous offense and defense idea and apply it to one arm. So it's very similar to our kun siu kun, the punch defending punch idea, because yeah. now you have to do it with just one thing. You don't have a secondary hand to control while you hit with the other one, right? So what it does to a certain degree is it reinforces so many Wing Chun basics. It's like it puts them under a magnifying glass, right? Forces you to stay behind your weapon the way you stay behind your arms. Mm -hmm. Forces you to become more efficient so that you uh, can do more with less. Forces you to make shorter movements. If you make a big movement with a long pole in trying to defend, someone attacks me with a, with a bew and I do a big sideward swiping movement trying to defend and he fakes, pulls back and hits me, I'm out of position. Well, guess what's exactly the same as in fist fighting? If someone punches you and you try to block with your tanzao and he fakes and now your tanzao sailing off into the left field, pulls back and punches you, well, then you have a problem. And so in my opinion, what the pole does is it strengthens what you should already know from your fist fighting practice. People, cool. people are always looking for moves, all right? You shouldn't think of learning martial arts as collecting moves. You should think of martial arts, I mean, you can think of martial arts many ways, but I'm thinking from a technical perspective. Mm -hmm. Don't think of it as collecting moves. Think of it as learning how to move. That's a much stronger and much more powerful thing. And anything that we learn, whether it's the pole, the knives, the dummy, whatever, helps us move better. Mm. That's the point. Mm. Not some specific, secret, never before seen long bridge technique that's buried inside the long pole, all right? And that's suddenly going to you know, improve your fist fighting. No, no, no. It's the entire project of doing long pole that's going to improve the entire project of you being a better martial artist. All right, what else you that's got for profound. me? Man, I'm excited about later's class. Yeah. Man. It's like a pre-class. Pre that's right. You can see it's on my mind, right? Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, we have time for one more I'm mm -hmm. looking at. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Martinez. Another Patreon. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, Sifu Alex. Yo. Dre and Mikey. All right, and that guy. Thank Great podcast. Much. 
<laughs> Sifu, I thought I heard you say there is a new Bruce Lee DVD Blu-ray box set coming out. If yes, do you know when? If not, can you recommend a Bruce Lee DVD Blu-ray box set that is already out? Also, what is your opinion on doing knuckle push-ups and a plyometric knuckle push-up to strengthen the wrist and toughen up the knuckles for straight punches? All right, those are great questions. Uh, the first question, so I'm not the... I'm not the guy who's up on all like the DVD releases of like Blu-ray when, you know, they re-release and remaster all these old films. No, um, no, no, because I'm huge into movies, but I'm not like, I don't go out of my way to like, be like, oh, I need the latest Criterion collection of like the Bruce Lee stuff or whatever. Right. Yeah. But don't um, they send this to you? Like, I, yeah, well, that's boom, the other boom, thing boom. too. I, I often get stuff sent to me right? Yeah. anyway. Right. That's the advantage of being the Kung Fu genius. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I just got a whole, I, I got three books sent uh -huh. to me from Paul Bax, who's, okay. um, who's, I believe he's from the UK. He wrote these amazing books, which are interviews with some of Bruce Lee's original students. And they're really deep dives. Like, like they have all, the first book is about Jesse Glover, and it's about this thick, and I've just been diving through. It's amazing information, because you're hearing... You know, like them tell these firsthand stories about what it's like and, and, you know, having trained with Bruce Lee and how they developed the techniques and stuff that they did. So what? shout out to uh, Paul Bax for sending me those books. So, shout out to Paul Bax. So, yeah, so I, I get like. Send them to Dre yeah, too. No, don't send them to Dre. No, nah, come uh, on. So, uh, <laughs> come on, man. No, I, I remember seeing his 591? books. 591, no, I'm just I, I remember seeing his books and going like, oh, man, I want to get those. But I, um, because um, Matt Polly actually referenced them in his book. So in in the uh, in his Bruce Lee biography, I think he used some of Paul Bax's stuff. I'm like, oh man, I got to get my hands on those books. Yeah. But I couldn't really find them, and then like lo and behold, this week he actually sent me those books, so, so I got them. So, so anyway, I, I usually don't don't have to go out of my way to get these things. Nice. Um, having said that, I bought uh, when I was in Hong Kong a few years ago a Fortune Star 4K Blu-ray re-release of like Bruce's four. Uh, Chinese films, which include, which in, it's not basically not Enter the Dragon has Game of Death, mm -hmm. which is, we we know is not the one that he finished, but it's a four it's it's a four K Blu Ray remaster, and it was really good. Like mm. to see those mm. movies in like really good print quality with good subtitles and in sound quality and stuff uh, it was a little various. I mean, Big Boss was shot with not great cameras, so like there's only so much they can do to make that one like really clean, um, but. Uh, Fist of Fury looks really good. Like, you can see the acne on Bruce Lee's face. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. It's that good. Like, in the close-ups, it's, like, really clean. I didn't know he had um, acne. Yeah, he did. He did. It was one of the reasons why he went to uh, Dr. Ao when he later had his uh, sweat glands removed. Not, not because of the acne, but, like, he complained about three things. It was, like, the weight loss, the sweating, and the acne. That was, like, wow. well, it was on his doctor's note. Um, so, anyway. I'd just like to say, all three symptoms of cocaine abuse. Really? Even acne? <laughs> Even uh, acne? Yeah, because you just, you know, you're not sleeping and it just causes your skin to go bad. Uh, so, I've heard. I thought so, it was steroids. You get the acne. Yeah, yeah. Bruce was taking those steroids that makes you really skinny. Yeah. All right? That makes you lose weight. <laughs> Why am I so fat? And have fat? less muscles than before. Why am I so fat? It's got nothing to do with the fries I eat every day. That's right. That's right. Doctor, yeah. fix me. Everyone thinks that Bruce was taking steroids, but if you if you follow any of these like big steroid channels, like More Plates, More Dates, or Greg yeah. Doucette or whatever, uh, even though Greg thinks that Bruce might have been on something, when you look at Bruce's body composition, 
if Bruce was taking steroids and he was on some really bad shit because he didn't actually have any more muscle mass than he did before. What people don't realize is that he was just a lot more striated later. Yeah, he yeah. always had a huge lat spread. Be like, yeah, I've been weighing the dragon. You see his lat spread. It's the same lat spread he had earlier. Uh-huh. It's just that he was striated. So you can see he just had less water in his body. So you could see all the muscles there, but he wasn't bigger. Damn. All right. It wasn't, he wasn't bigger in way the dragon than he was a big boss. He just, he just had more definition for, because he was more striated. So that's the secret. Just dehydrate yourself. Yeah, of course. Well, okay. Bodybuilders. You know, Tom, our, our boy here, Tom, yeah. he talks about bodybuilding. He's all about dehydrating. He's yeah, like you're dehydrate. He's like basically you're, you're a walking corpse when you're on stage because you have no water in your body. Uh. He said he would drive into the city for competitions and he'd be so dehydrated he, would, he wouldn't even know where he was. Whoa. Yeah. So no, that's great. This stuff's not, not healthy for you. Yeah, get but Tom anyway. on here. I would love to get it. Well, we had him on here. He was one of the Dre for the days. Yeah. So anyway, like a whole episode Dre for a day. So anyway, let me get back to the question. So I got that Fortune Star 4K, and it's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Criterion a few years ago then released their version. And from what I heard is they just used the Fortune Star prints that I already had, but they put it in the fancy box. So. They didn't go through the trouble of creating their own remaster. <laughs> they just used the Fortune Star ones. But I think they might have added Enter the Dragon, which was Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Whereas the one I had only had the four Chinese films, if you considered Way of the Death one of his Chinese films. Man. Because he never finished it. Although that's a guilty pleasure. I do watch that every once in a while. It's so horrible. But it's also kind of good. Yeah. It's got a great score, too. Wow. Um, so I, but, but as far as I, I know, I think that they've added some more releases. The thing is, if you really want to know about the up-to-date like releases of all those things, you got to watch my boy Charles Damiano's channel because Charles Damiano, he's the one that knows all that stuff. And I think he regularly, like, I think he just did an unboxing of some new DVD, Blu-ray Whoa. re-release of Bruce's films. But he's up-to-date on that stuff. I'm not, I'm not really the one that knows that stuff. Okay. Also, I'm very satisfied with my... 4k fortune star from a few years back my blu-ray there are a lot of like movie snobs out there and there are a lot of people who are really into like like Times square kung fu he knows all about like the the different coloring and everything like that if you watch his channel he can tell you like comparing the different versions and all they use this lens and this filter and Mm. when they refilter they did this i'm not at that level where i really care that much i'm 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 a lot more of a casual fan on uh film quality like the, the 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 color than I am, like, that's not, re- that's not my wheelhouse. And so right. you have talked to someone who really knows about that. That's not really my thing. Um, as far as the, uh, the last part of the question, which is about, like, all the knuckle push-ups and stuff like this, look, just like I was saying about, like, anything you learn in martial arts ultimately improves the project of everything, right? Look, any type of physical training you're going to do is, you know, as long as you're not injuring yourself, all right, yeah. um, is ultimately going to have some kind of benefit, right? I mean, th- there's this the big debate about whether you should lift weights or not lift weights or just do body weight stuff or not do body weight stuff or, you know, Wing Chun people, like, you should only hit the wall bag and hit the dummy and do cheese out. It's the only strength training you need because blah, blah, blah. Like, there's a lot of misinformation um, that is based on traditional protocols and then assuming that traditional protocols were correct because our grandmasters did it so then it must be correct our grandmasters did not have knowledge of modern sports science okay uh and and they were really good can you imagine how much better they would be if they did have that knowledge that that's the thing that everyone goes like oh look how great grandmaster yip man was can you imagine if grandmaster yip man grew up in the Qing dynasty knowing what we know about um how to train tendons and ligaments from a science-based perspective or the the importance of cardiovascular training on martial arts and how to actually train that or 
how progressive resistance works because you could even apply that to things like wall bag training and dummy training, right? Uh -huh. So people are always like, oh, the old masters didn't need, the old masters didn't know it. Mm. All right, get out of here with that nonsense, all right? If they knew what we knew now back then, given how good they were and how hard they trained, where would we be now is what you should be asking. That's what you should be lamenting. How much they didn't know and how much better they would have been if they did know it, Dang. all right? Don't assume that because some far away, passed away grandmaster was legendary or whatever, that somehow he was the uh, epitome of human optimization. Hmm. You, you, you could probably go back and look at their training and go like, well, they were just very dedicated, but my God, there's way better ways of training strength, way better ways of training power, way better ways of you know, keeping your body in good working order than what they were doing, all right? Because they didn't know. So, wow. so anyway, like, I'm, I'm the last person to tell someone, yeah, don't do push-ups, don't do knuckle push-ups, don't do this, don't do that, because I'm all for physical training. I think that all of that stuff is great. I just think that the problem is always the diagnosis. Uh, my punch isn't really strong. I need to do push-ups, but not just any push-ups, knuckle push-ups, maybe mm. even four knuckle push-ups, or maybe fingertip push-ups or whatever. <laughs> and then what happens is there's always this idea that to get good at the thing you want to get good at, you have to do something other than the thing you want to get good at. And I'm always like, that's where, you, that's where that's most people where mess up. That's where fails. usually noobs mess up. They go like, wow, they, they, maybe they see a C-Hing who has like a brutally strong punch. And that scene hits the wall bag, that scene does cheese out, that scene does all but that scene also does push-ups. And they go, ah, oh, must be the push-ups. <laughs> and, and, and then so what, 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 what they did, again, kind of like a collective confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. You look at the one thing that you're not doing in their regimen and you go, that must be it. Um, no. That would be the same like saying because I go to a gym twice a week and I do you know, some pressing and I do some things like that. That's the reason why I can punch the way I can punch. No, I can punch the way I can punch because I practiced. Yeah. All right. Like, like it, the, the problem is always looking at the wrong thing. All right. Um, if you want to get good at punching, then you need to start punching a lot. When people go like, oh, I don't feel my punch is really powerful. I go, okay, how many punches are you doing a day? And then they kind of look at you somewhat sheepishly. Oh, oh, so you're not regularly training your punch. So you're asking me, how do you improve the thing that you're not doing? All right. So, and then you, you have to let that sit first and let them come to the realization of how kind of ridiculous they're being. Okay. If you want to get good at punching, then you need to start punching a lot and regularly. All right. So taking the case of Wing Chun, for example, because it could be a little bit different if that person is learning boxing or karate or whatever. Let's just, let's talk about Wing Chun because that's what we do. Um, you have to have a certain amount of punching in the air. All right. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of wall bag punching. I would also add to that punching heavy bag. Okay. I would also add to that maybe grabbing a partner and doing some focus mid punching. And all of those things teach you different things. Punching in the air, you're not gonna punch full power, you're gonna improve the technique, the technical execution of your punch. The wall bag, you're gonna improve the ability to release power, all right? Fat leg, whatever, fat gang, whatever you wanna call it on the bags. You, you train how to release that power. So it's like the timing of the stabilization of the joints and using the low elbow power and all that kind of stuff, right? The heavy bag is gonna now put that with a little bit more dynamic movement because when you hit the bag, the bag is gonna move, the bag can roll, it becomes a little bit more realistic. Mm -hmm. And then when you hit mitts, it's not just about power, it's about accuracy, right? So by doing air punches, you're doing the technical execution. Wall bag is power and releasing power. Um, heavy bag is applied power to a moving or semi-moving target. 
and focus mitts are accuracy. Oh, right. So if you start training all of these things, your punches in the air, your wall bag, your heavy bag, and focus mitt training, and you do that regularly for a while, you're going to notice a huge improvement in your punches. But like anything else, you're going to plateau. And when you are already training your punches in that kind of four-pronged method, and you start to feel that you are tapping out in terms of your progress, oh, right. that's when you start adding supplemental stuff to improve it. You don't go, I can't punch, I need to do push-ups. No, homie, you need the punch. Okay? All right, like, man, my kicks are really shit. I need yeah. to start, you know, doing deadlifts. No, man, you need to start kicking. You need to kick more. I can't do push-ups, I need to do punches. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, exactly, right? Can you imagine? Has anyone ever said that before? Man, my push-ups really suck. I should start punching more, yeah. all right? No, you want to get good at something, you, you do the thing you want to get good at, right? Oh, man. You don't go like, oh, I mean, for example, okay, I have fairly decent kicks. I'm also known for my kicks. Yeah. But I did seven years of Taekwondo, all right, when I was young. So that was, that was my luck. I did a, a kicking art when I was very young, which made me very some nimble and flexible and powerful with my legs, yeah. all right? Do you know how many times my Korean Taekwondo coach told me that we need to do squats and deadlifts for our kicks? Zero. We never did that. You know what we did? We freaking kicked a lot. <laughs> kicking drills. <laughs> kicking warm-ups. Yeah. Kicking in the form. Kicking on the paddles. Kicking on the heavy bag. Uh -huh. Kicking in sparring. Kicking on the kick shield, more stretching, all right? More kicking, all right? Like, like they say, you know, the, some of the Hong Kong instructors, do more kicking, uh -huh. all right, okay? And that's how we got good. We didn't go, yeah, bro, but like, uh, you know, you really should be doing deep squats to improve your kicks. No, when your kicks are really, really, really good, and now you want to start adding some squats to improve posterior chain strength, leg strength, whatever. You want to do plyometric stuff to increase explosiveness, by all means. But those are things you do when you already have the technique and the skill. Mm -hmm. So what happens is a lot of beginners, they look at pros. And they look at all this cool, sexy stuff that they're doing. Oh. And they go, oh, I need to do all this cool, sexy variations of push-ups and squats. I need to run with a sled and I need to hop up and down and do plyometrics. And you go, no. What you're looking at is you're looking at a professional athlete who has already optimized most of the natural standard methods for improving those skills. And now they have to do other things to create incremental gains. Because the huge gains that they created or that they got in kicking, for example, or punching, they got from punching and kicking. Mm. That's where the majority of the progress happened by hitting mitts and bags and sparring and doing all that kind of stuff and developing those skills. When those things plateau, then that's when you get those egg weights or that's when you start doing it this way or that's when you start doing things with resistance bands or whatever to now get those incremental gains because we're talking about an athlete or a professional. Man. And noobs always make the mistake of looking at the sexy training that a pro makes for incremental gains and mistaken that with the bulk work you need to do in the thing you want to get better at. So I will never tell someone not to do push-ups. I will never tell someone not to work out and do all those things. Yeah. But I would just tell them if you want to get better at punching, you better punch. If you want to get better at kicking, you better kick. If you want to get better at sparring, you better spar. Do the thing you want to do first and get good at that before you start to look at all these other things as the holy saviors that are going to fix the fact that you're not doing the thing you should be doing. And that's all I got to say about that. 
All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. Like this episode. And if you have any questions for me on a future episode, go ahead and write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Si Kung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilled. Alex Richter, always the victor. All right, peeps. Oh, I keep looking at the freaking record button. Idiot. Punch. Idiots. Look at the green light, Dre. Green light, green Dre. Green light, Dre. All right, peoples. On today's episode of the Kung Fu. What? He actually has some good singing chops. Yeah, he's got some pipes on him. Yeah, every once in a while I'm like, Andre, you're not, you're not bad. Yeah. You could be singing hooks like Patti LaBelle or some shit. Oh, shit. You should be replacing um, David Lee Roth in um, the current iteration of Van Halen. <laughs> what? Yeah, perfect. We'll call him Dre Hagar. Dregar. Dregar. Drammy Drake. Sounds like another fake hypothetical guy, Dregar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's only talking about Qing Dynasty weapons. But he practices Hungar. Should get him. Hung Dre. Should invite him to the box. What? Hung Dre! Hey, yo, bro! All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from you two. Lots of gems. Lots of... Secret Hong Kong, uh, secret Hong Kong punching from your pole. Secret Hong Kong punches from the pole position. Secret Hong Kong. How about you go secret Hong Kong pole position? (laughs) Secret Hong Kong pole position is a great game. I get a... Non rompero il cazzo. Is that the Italian guy? No, that's don't break my cock in Italian. Cazzo culo, you stick your cock up Hey, what the Yo, heck take is? it easy, take it easy. A Nutella. Nutella? A Ferrari. Olive Garden. <laughs> I love the Olive Garden. Lots of gems. Lots of secret Hong Kong pole positions. <laughs> pole positions. I love it. <laughs> that was, that was perfect. That was that's perfect. Great. Positions. Why? No, Fantastic. actually, position sounds positions, better. It yeah, sounds way gross. Better. It, it sounds, sounds gross. nasty. Pole positions. <laughs> All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of secret Hong Kong pole positions. Lots of, hey, man, I want to learn how to punch. Should I do push-ups? Yo, man, I want to learn how <laughs> to do push-ups. Yo, a bitch. My- good work, good yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, happy birthday, C4. Oh, thank punches. you. Ah. Pole position punches. Oh, 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 oh,